Okay, it's a great pleasure to have with me my friend and fellow Swiss-based uh, investor, Remo Uherek. Remo is a YouTuber, investor, and former startup founder. Remo has uh, started companies, sold companies, uh, has been very successful in the startup world for about 15 years. Um, today, he spends his time as a private investor, helps to run a real estate portfolio. He also writes about health, wealth, and happiness, and has a terrific YouTube channel as well. Ramo, great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so we um, agreed we would talk about Tesla and hundred baggers, uh, meaning uh, stocks that can uh, deliver 100x returns over a long period of time. Um, I know you've done uh, quite a lot of research into that uh, topic. And uh, Tesla obviously lends itself quite well. Uh, also, it's been a controversial stock for quite some time, um, but has done uh, very well. And I know you are a, a big Tesla fan, if I can say so. So why don't um, you just kind of give me your uh, take, first of all, on, um, you know, 100 baggers, Tesla, um, set the stage in, in any way you like, please. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, basically, I read the, I read the book uh, 100 baggers by Christopher Mayer. I also interviewed him on, on my channel and it just instantly clicked for me. So, of course, there are a thousand uh, potential investment uh, strategies and a thousand flavors uh, for um, all kinds of different people. But um, I really think that this strategy suits me uh, the best uh, because it's just a set it and forget it strategy. Mostly you can do buy and hold for really, really long periods of time. So the average 100 bagger took 26 years to materialize. So it's really not an overnight uh, trading uh, strategy or, or any kind of rebalancing uh, strategy. So I really love that to find just a couple of really, really good ideas and then to write them out as long as, uh, as they work. And uh, yeah, the idea for people who are not familiar uh, with, with the concept is to find really great companies that are just growing and keep growing for decades, basically. And uh, the idea is to have a company that grows roughly at least 20% per year, um, not only revenue, but of course, also uh, profitably. And then as long as this story is intact to just keep holding uh, this company, compound it. And then if you're lucky, then you might um, have a 100 bagger or two in, in your lifetime. And uh, yeah, I don't have many ideas. I really struggle with uh, coming up with investment ideas. Um, I started out with a typical um, Benjamin Graham net-net uh, investor, but somehow this uh, didn't fit my innovation and, and technology bias uh, really well. And it was also kind of uh, boring and mechanical. So then over uh, the last couple of years, I, I switched completely to, to my 100-bagger strategy. And uh, yeah, I love Tesla. I love the mission. It's a mission-based company. And uh, I really believe that uh, Tesla is changing the world, has, has already changed the world. And I also believe that it will hopefully become my first uh, true 100-bagger in my portfolio. Great. So um, let's, let's dive into the 100-bagger concept a little bit further. Uh, obviously, uh, something that I think appeals to anyone who hears it. Um, to achieve that kind of investment return. What were some of the commonalities of 100 baggers that you were able to identify as you did your research or uh, you know, studied uh, Chris Mayer's book? Yeah, so I based my strategy obviously on, on Chris uh, Mayer's book. He's done a terrific um, research. Uh, there's also been a, a predecessor to, to his book, um, I haven't read that yet, but um, I think Chris's book is is all you need. So basically, what yeah, as as I said, you need to find companies that have a really long runway, so a huge total addressable market, where they can keep reinvesting 
their revenue and their profits and uh, keep doing that ideally for, for decades. So that's the prerequisite. So you need to have growth. It's a growth strategy. And uh, yeah, usually um, these are companies that are owner operated. So uh, the founder is still involved, um, ideally as the CEO, ideally the founder holds uh, 10 to 20% of the company, which for example, is the case at, at Tesla. And uh, yeah, uh, ideally it's a, it's a mission-based company. So it, it has some kind of, uh, yeah, some kind of mission it wants to bring into the world or some kind of problem it, it solves. And uh, yeah, as I said, with a, with a huge uh, the total addressable market. And then uh, of course the management needs to be good and, and all of the other pieces need to be in place. But I think what it really boils down to, it needs to be, uh, it needs to grow profitably for a really, really long time. And as long as it does it, then you can keep holding uh, these companies. And of course, it it uh, sounds really simple. Everyone would love to have 100 baggers, but of course, there comes a price. Um, there is a price for for everything, and there are trade offs uh, for everything. So usually, um, these are not only tech companies. There have been snowmobile. Uh, producers that have uh, become 100 baggers, beverage producers. So there have been, I think, um, yeah, hundreds of of 100 baggers in in the past uh, 70 years. Um, in the I think in the in the U.S. stock market alone. Uh, so uh, I, I think Chris Chris's uh, uh, research focuses on the on the U.S. Uh, predominantly. But uh, yeah, basically, um, it can be from any industry. So it's it's not. Uh, necessarily uh, technology based but of course a lot of tech companies um have become 100 and, and even a thousand or more baggers and of course the number one company was berkshire hathaway i think right now uh, i don't know 25000 bagger or or something like that over the past 50 60 years so uh yeah it's it's basically that's that's also what what attracts me because i have started my investing journey with uh, with Buffett and and Graham and and uh, Phil Fisher and uh, yeah basically it's it's about finding these great compounders and letting them run for a, for a really really long time. And I guess you know part of the trick is to find them as early as possible in their journey as public companies. Um, so. You know, if you if you have a portfolio of hundred baggers that you're going to hold for a long period of time, as you said, you don't need to do very much. In fact, you can't do too very much because uh, you, otherwise you'll just have um, a lot of uh, turnover. But um, you know, how do you when you look at companies early on? You know, they haven't delivered yet, so. How do you personally get comfortable that a company either could be a hundred bagger or not? Yeah, I think this is not necessarily true that you have to find them early on. So it's not about like finding IPO stocks or finding startups uh, that are super early in the founding stage. I don't think um, that's what the strategy is about. I think the strategy. Um, focuses, or I think Chris Mayer focuses, for example, only on companies that are already profitable. And um, I think one of the latest, uh, one of his latest uh, case studies was uh, Nvidia. And uh, basically, uh, yeah, you could you could buy it. Um, I think for a, I don't know for for over a billion dollar valuation, or somebody did and. It became a 100 bagger in I think eight or nine years since uh, 2013 or, or something. Um, so it it can already be a big and established uh, company. And in fact, I think a lot of these 100 baggers you could have bought for many many years. So you don't have to be early, but of course you have to identify the company uh, when there is still a long runway to go. So it can't be a company like I don't know Coca Cola where basically. Um, everyone knows it on earth and it's it's established everywhere distribution is everywhere i don't think coca-cola would have the potential of of uh, becoming a hunter bagger of course um with their core product so i think you need to be somewhat early to still have a huge runway 
but it's not about like finding the gems in the in the startup world uh, and that's that's what i love about it so you can basically enter at any point uh, there have been many tesla investors for example that have bought the company after their ipo in 2012 and 2013 when they had their first profitable quarter um a lot of people bought that early i personally bought in 2017 2018 when the company had a 50 billion dollar market cap so quite big in in uh, in comparison with with other companies but i still believe that it has a, the potential to become a 5 trillion dollar market cap company uh, so it still could become a 100 bagger even um when i bought like 7 years after after the ipo so i think that's the beautiful thing and before i talked about the price you have to pay i i didn't uh, finish my my thought there so the price of course is that there is huge volatility involved so for example apple has um obviously been been a hundred and and uh, many thousand bagger but there have been periods i think where it dropped 80 percent twice um and many drops of 40 50 percent and this is really brutal I mean, even with my Tesla position, it never went into the red last year, but it went uh, down 70% from, from peak to, to bottom uh, uh, last year. So it's still huge volatility that is involved. And of course, this volatility is painful uh, because, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an emotional game. So you have to be able to always remember as long as the story is intact, don't sell, and especially don't sell for non-company reasons. So don't sell because of uh, macroeconomic um, uh, considerations. Um, yeah, whatever, interest rates, wars, um, pandemics, et cetera. These are not reasons to sell as long as the company is performing. And I think that's really the hard part of, of this uh, strategy. Yeah, you talk about the volatility and the price. So just to dig a little bit further on that, um, I'd be curious how you calibrate sort of the entry point because some companies um, are already priced to deliver massive, massive growth um, in the future. Um, you know, let's say NVIDIA comes to mind as we're having this conversation uh, early July uh, 23, you know, basically. Uh, you know, 25 billion revenue or so, uh, maybe going to 40 billion this year, but a trillion plus market cap. Um, so, you know, how do you think about what price you're willing to pay to still be able to get that hundred bagger? Um, you know, because I think with something like NVIDIA, maybe it can deliver a decent return, but is it really going to be worth a hundred trillion before competition starts nibbing at their heels? Yeah, I think that's that's the that's that's one of the biggest problems I think with this with this strategy because I think once it becomes obvious that the company is great, then of course the price uh, catches catches on and and prices in a lot of also future expectations and. Um, yeah, I think personally, I still have somewhat the, the startup mindset. I am a patho pathological optimist. Um, so of course, I always, um, yeah, I'm trying to envision the future and envision a bright future for a company. But then I think it's, it's not only about the price and the entry point, but also the position size for me. And for me, the position size is more important uh, than the, the the current valuation necessarily uh, because uh yeah with with these bets these are highly asymmetric bets so if they work out um they work out uh yeah many times better than what you than what you invest uh so you can uh, basically what you have to do is you have to limit what you what you invest and what i did in 2017 for example tesla was still highly in the red was losing money but what i did First of all, I, I applied the Peter Lynch playbook. So I rented a Tesla Model S for the weekend with my son. I went to Legoland in Germany. I was able to experience the autopilot um, there, which was really impressive, even in 2017. And um, basically, that was my iPhone aha moment. Wow, this is really something something else. And that helped me to, to inform my investment decision. 
But of course, um, even in terms of price to sales, they didn't have any earnings. It, it, was, it was still really, really expensive at, at that point. So you really had to envision um, a future where yeah, they produce millions of cars, where FSD um, gets deployed, where they can potentially add yeah, the energy um, side of, of, of things really turns out well. So uh, yeah, I think that was also part, part of, of the whole, uh, of, of my whole investment process. And that is always dependent a lot, of course, on the owner operator. So if, um, yeah, by that time, SpaceX has been hugely successful. They were the only ones that were landing um, uh, orbital class rocket boosters. So I just yeah, had the hunch to never bet against Elon Musk and to just see that there is a potential that he can fulfill his vision. Of course, it was nothing, um, uh, yeah, nothing but guaranteed. And I only invested a small part of my portfolio, like 5% was my initial, uh, initial bet. And I was willing to lose, to lose it all. And I almost, uh, almost lost it in 2019 when they almost went bankrupt. So I think um, it's more about the position size in the beginning and also about the potential, about the vision. Because you have to, you, you cannot, I think you cannot do, you cannot calculate your way uh, to, to a hundred bagger or just really uh, it's it's really difficult. It has a lot to do with belief and with envisioning a future, envisioning um, this company becoming successful, fulfilling its mission. And uh, yeah, this is of course by definition highly speculative and highly uncertain. So uh, for me, I think the best way is to limit it with the with the position size. But you're totally right. Um, Nvidia today. I think would be a hard argument uh, to to uh, to make a 100 bagger case, even though they can still. I mean, GPUs are in high demand; they will be for a long time. So I still think it's a decent company. Um, it's a yeah, and and they will uh, deliver a lot of growth and and a lot of revenue. But um, I think the story, the, the 100 bagger story, has mostly played out. But I think you you didn't have to invest into Nvidia when when this case study person in, in 2013 or so did. I think it was enough in the 2017 boom with, with cr uh, cryptocurrencies. I think that would have been totally enough uh, to, to, or maybe in 2018 when, when, the, when the crypto fallout came, uh, maybe that would have been a, a great entry point. So I think you don't have to be super early, but of course you also have to be, um, it has to mathematically be at least possible to, to uh, uh, yeah, to to reach uh, these numbers, and I think um, these are the the, the considerations I, I have made. But it's it's a difficult problem, and I don't have a perfect answer. Do you so you know getting a hundred bagger on on a single investment uh, is 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 wonderful as a as a kind of an achievement a milestone? But do you ever think kind of along the way? Um, you know, uh, basically, you got a let's say twenty bagger or something. Do you think you know maybe I could look for something that can from here on out be a hundred bagger? And in this thing, I already got a twenty bagger, so maybe it's time to switch into something else. How do you think about sort of the opportunity cost of um, staying with a company? Um, through that whole time, I mean, it comes it comes down to the number of ideas that that you have. And um, I am a private investor, so I don't do this uh, full time. I don't have a pipeline of of uh, dozens of of ideas. Um, and it's also, yeah, I, I just have a really limited. In, in fact, I, I really have a, just six ideas or so, and probably, yeah, just just uh, yeah, a handful of them. Um, yeah, not even a handful, maybe two of them could become 100 baggers and the others are what I call late stage 100 baggers. So this is my trick to still ride out some potential 100 baggers to just get in quite late and let them, let them run. And maybe you get a five bagger, 10 bagger or whatever over five or 10 years. And that's okay as well. But personally, I don't have so many ideas. And uh, the ideas that I have, I have spent thousands of hours in and I'm very confident. So I'm super confident about Tesla. Uh, so for me, 
uh, the opportunity cost, the risk is actually bigger to switch to something that I know less about than to write uh, Tesla now uh, yeah, further. So personally, for me, it's, it's a clear decision to, to stay with, with the portfolio that I have. Uh, but of course, if you have the ability to, to churn out uh, potential 100 baggers, um, this might also be a, a worthwhile uh, strategy, of course. And, and from a portfolio uh, management standpoint, you know, if you pick, let's say, five or 10 um, investments that will be 100 baggers and they're all kind of on that trajectory at the same time and all basically great investments, then those portfolio weights will remain kind of fairly constant. But let's say you pick a few that basically kind of go sideways and one is the one that's actually a, becoming a hundred bagger. Um, it's going to take over the portfolio in terms of percentage weight. So how do you deal with any imbalances that can occur over time? Yeah, I think this is the beauty of being a private investor and not being bound by any, I don't know, portfolio um, con constrictions, um, uh, constraints, like um, some, some ETFs or some, some bigger funds have, where they might limit the position to 10%. And when it runs, they, they have to keep selling. So I, I don't have to do that. I think it's, it's a beauty of being a private investor. I think it's, a, it's an advantage, frankly. And um, yeah, the book and the research um, clearly suggest that the optimal strategy would be to just ride it to the end, not rebalance and not sell al along the way. But of course, uh, people are different and um, it might be psychologically easier uh, to sell along the way, um, not doing dollar, dollar cost um, averaging with buying, but doing uh, dollar cost selling might, might also be a good strategy. I'm also thinking about that. And um, I think what, what I have been thinking about um, is to, because there are such huge swings, such big volatility, um, I am thinking about whether I could um, yeah, reduce my risk maybe a little bit with, with, um, with a hedging strategy. So for example, when there are all-time highs after all-time highs, the market gets absolutely crazy and then the momentum turns, then might be a good, um, uh, yeah, a good timing to maybe uh, yeah, apply some, some hedging strategies, uh, buy some put options or, or, or something to hedge um, against uh, this, these big drawdowns because the 70% drawdown last year was really brutal and, and really... Uh, yeah, emotionally difficult for me. And I just keep thinking, how could I at least um, yeah, pay an insurance and, and um, reduce uh, the, the volatility a little bit? Of course, insurance is also not, not, um, not cheap and it's not, not free. Um, right now, I think if, if I wanted to insure my whole Tesla position, I think I would pay, I don't know, 20% per year or so of my portfolio or even more. I, I had a look at it uh, recently, so it's hugely expensive. Um, so you can only do it, of course, when the market is crazy uh, to the to the upside, and then the, the put options become uh, become uh, less expensive. So that's one way. But on the other hand, I keep thinking. I mean, this is not a new idea. Uh, Buffett and others um, are not stupid, and nobody else is is employing such strategies. So why should I be smarter than anyone else? And and uh, and be able to reduce the risk and be able to reduce the volatility. So, so I'm not entirely confident yet that I can uh, pull it off. But um, yeah, maybe just opportunistically, really, when it's an absolutely crazy market, bull markets, then maybe uh, yeah, lock in uh, some hedging strategies it could be it could be a prudent idea. But other than that, I'm I'm really happy to let my positions run. So I think right now my Tesla position is 45% of my portfolio. I think at one point it was more than 60%. Uh, so I'm totally happy with that. And th th there's also uh, research that Chris Mayer mentioned in the book um, about, I think, a fund in the, I don't know, in the, in the 30s or in the 20s that had the mandate to basically just uh, buy all companies, I think, in the, in the Dow Jones index. And uh, they weren't able to sell it um, until today. So it was like a fixed, a fixed strategies, a fixed strategy. 
And um, yeah, I think also the, the winners um, make up a huge part of the portfolio over time. So I think it's the nature of, uh, of such strategies that, um, of course, some companies will go sideways, some will go completely bust, and the winners will take over your portfolio. I think um, that's okay. And if you need some uh, emotional yeah, balance, then you can, of course, sell um, along the way. And nobody got broke uh, by taking a profit. So uh, I think that also could be a, a, good, a good strategy. So these are the things that I'm uh, talking about uh, or, or thinking about. And I'm especially yeah, interested in, in hedging strategies, but um, so far I haven't found one that's, that really makes sense in, in most market conditions. So maybe I will, I will try it in when, the, when there is the next uh, huge bull market. Yeah, it's an interesting point because markets do go through these phases of you know mania or or panic uh, fear um and so it, it is very appealing i i kind of wonder um you know what what would be a way to do it you mentioned uh kind of hedging with put options or something like that you know the other thought would be um basically you know if you think about the drawdown in tesla last year 70% so basically um you know you basic for every share sold at the top you could have then bought three shares um at the bottom and increased your position without any cost or tripled it in in the kind of extreme case um, so I wonder, you know, do you ever think about kind of, I'm not going to call it trading around a position because that sounds like, you know, 10, 20% moves that you're trying to capture kind of volatility. But if there's a huge move, like, like there was, uh, both on the upside and the downside that, um, you know, just by sort of cutting off those extremes, um you can actually increase your the number of shares you own over time yeah it's an appealing idea i've thought long and hard about it but i think the the problem is also that markets are manic depressive and and they are irrational so it it all comes down to you have to be able to somehow time the market and if you exit the position then you have the, the, the big risk is that um, it runs away from you and you then lose um, yeah, the, the potential 100 bagger that you still have left. And I think for me, that risk is, is larger than paying an insurance. And I don't know how much I would be um, willing to pay, maybe 5% or, or whatever it is, I would maybe be willing to pay to um, lock in my, my, uh, yeah, the, the high price. And then when there is a drawdown, then I make the profit from, from the options and I can buy more. And if not, then I paid the, the insurance premium of 5%, but I still have the potential upside. So I think for me, that somehow makes, makes more sense. But I was also looking into some momentum strategies or some trend following strategies. So not, not in the short term, but, but longer term um, momentum strategies. And um, this also could be one way to time that. So once the momentum shifts, um, then you could you could deploy such a strategy. Either yeah, remove part of of your position or or um, in, uh, in, uh, insure it with a, with a hedging strategy. Um, so I'm I'm looking at these indicators. It's trading, but it's longer term trading. Exactly as you said, to try to um, insure against these huge uh, drawdowns. But um, I'm I'm not entirely sure yet whether I will do that and and how I will do that. But I'm I'm uh, looking into it and I'm preparing myself for the for the next huge irrational bull run and then when uh, when it makes sense um, uh, then yeah I, I will probably try try to do that because yeah the, the 70 percent last year I think that was that was not optimal of course if if you can ride it out I can ride it out it's it's okay but it's still emotionally taxing and uh, and still um, all of these bets could theoretically go to zero. I mean, it's, it's not out of the question. Uh, so uh, I think it, it still might be a good strategy to have some kind of insurance. It's never free, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly uh, thinking about that. 
So let's uh, let's delve a little bit more into Tesla. You know, um, you have this huge level of conviction. It sounds like in uh, the company and Elon Musk. Um, where does that come from, and uh, you know why is it so different from some other great growth companies uh, that are also owner operated? Um, why Tesla specifically? I basically fell in love with the mission. So first and foremost, it's a mission-based company. It has the mission to yeah, accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. And it has um, arguably already done so um, in, a, in a big way. I don't think that the car industry would be as eager as it is today to, to switch to electric vehicles and, and all of the other uh, uh, things. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's what draws me, drew me in. And I think that's what also draws employees in and draws the talent in. Um, so it all starts with a really good mission. So it seems with Tesla, for me, it seems a company um, that's on the right side or that will be on the right side of history. So I don't want to like invest into companies that pollute the planet or yeah, uh, produce some kind of shady products for entertainment or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm really looking to, to have an impact with, with my life and, and not um, waste my life and for me to partner with Tesla and and uh, yeah uh, join them on on their journey just is is a matter of the of the heart and and of the soul for me so it totally makes sense and then of course you also have to look at the at the founder at the track record so um, I read the the early um, Elon Musk biography by Ashley Vance in 2015. Um, where it's mostly about um, SpaceX, or that what 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 interested me uh, there um, more. So I started following SpaceX really, really uh, intensively. I was able to watch uh, the first uh, rocket landing live on, on the live stream. So so I I was looking at that really uh, intensely, and then I was reading the history about uh, PayPal and and uh, yeah his other ventures, and it just seemed to me that he was a person that's always willing to bet everything that he has into a bold idea and to try to change the world. And uh, that just impressed me because um, he took everything that's, that he made from, from uh, PayPal and invested it into uh, SpaceX, Tesla, and Solar, Solar City. And um, yeah, so, so basically he, he votes with his own money. So uh, um, he just has, has a conviction and tries to do that. And he has the ability to yeah, to to assemble talent and and to also um, some some what have the timing right of of some future emerging technologies or future emerging trends that uh, be, are right at the cusp from becoming impossible to possible, and um, he just has a really good timing to to enter uh, to enter these these markets quite early on. And then, um, yeah, make a huge contribution. So, what I really love is the first principles thinking. What I love is his management style of assembling uh, teams, of giving them a lot of um, empowerment, giving them a lot of um, resources and and uh, possibilities to to express themselves and to do their best work. Um, of course, it's not perfect. Um, it's it's skewed uh, towards young people, of course, who don't have a family yet. Um, the average tenure is four years at Tesla because people have a tendency to, to get burned out um, and, and so on. But it's still he, he has this um, ability to assemble the best talents and give them a great mission and uh, give them the, the empowerment to, to do their greatest work of, of their lives. And um, yeah, he seems to be doing that with, with uh, SpaceX and, and now with Tesla. And it just keeps getting better. So I would have never envisioned like the Tesla robots that that would be a thing. But now um, the Tesla robot, I believe, might even become a bigger business than the car or energy business. Um, so it's it just with 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 these kind of founders and and companies, you you have the situations where they just keep coming up with with new ideas, with with new business lines, and uh, that's really fascinating. Um, I don't think I could pull that off myself, and I really, I really love it, and and I think it's it's really precious. Uh, it, it's a really precious ability, and 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 uh, it doesn't come along that often. Um, so um, yeah, it it became a hobby. I invested thousands of hours into it. Um, 
I really became a cheerleader for the, for the company. As I said, I, I rented a Tesla. I don't own a Tesla yet, but um, um, because in, in Switzerland, you, I don't really need a car. But if I needed a car, of course, that would be my first, uh, that would be my first choice. And uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, how, how the story began for me. Yeah, it's interesting. You're just mentioning you don't uh, need a car in Switzerland. Uh, certainly true. Um, so, so, I mean, how do you think about then, you know, how many Teslas ultimately uh, there are going to be or should be, um, you know, because one is the environmental impact. Obviously, um, EV is, uh, is much better than... Um, gas or, or diesel or anything like that uh, but there's also environmental impacts from you know mining the battery metals or or recycling batteries and and whatnot and especially if, if we're talking about much greater scale uh, in the future um, so for the planet I guess the best would be to kind of minimize the number of vehicles that are going to exist and you know, with autonomous driving and things like that, maybe that is a future where people are more like uh, yourself, that they don't actually own a vehicle. Um, does that ever figure sort of in your thinking about, um, you know, Tesla or the auto sector in general, you know, where those um, numbers could go over time? Yeah, so it's it's not entirely true that I don't or I don't want to own a car in Switzerland. It, I still occasionally use cars. I use um, it's called mobility car sharing here and um, yeah I was I was trying to get on the board on, on, uh, on mobility to try to push them uh, towards buying more more Teslas and, and going to EVs and now they announced that they um, are transitioning their whole fleet uh, to EVs. So, so that's a great thing and so I, I want to use cars whenever I uh, really need them. But of course, I don't want to. I don't want to own them, and um, I think that's true for a lot of uh, people. And when we zoom out, then of course, one of the biggest potential innovations would be full self-driving, full autonomy, um, which Tesla is working on, and in my opinion, is is uh, leading by far. And uh, once we envision a full self-driving um, economy, that will basically change everything. That might change even. Um, near haul, uh, short haul flights, it might change the whole public uh, transportation industry. And if we have a look at car ownership, then I think cars are only used um, 12 hours per week or so on average, I think in the, in the US. So with, with autonomy, you could um, increase the utility to maybe 60 hours per week so, or, or 70 hours, so, so, basi or, so basically a five, five X utility. So you Yes, in theory, you would need less cars, but when we think about that these autonomous cars could replace um, or completely transform uh, the public um, uh, public transport, uh, uh, transportation industry and even a short short haul flights and and everything, and especially if we combine it with uh, potential innovations like like a hyperloop kind of um, network, um, then it could yeah become really interesting. I don't know how many cars um, the world will need. Um, uh, probably less than than we have today. Um, so I, I would love to see the utility increased with with autonomy, with with sharing. But of course, it's it's more than than zero. So if we really get to a autonomous world, of course, that's a big question uh, question mark whether we will achieve that. And um, there's no guarantee that Tesla or any other company will ever achieve that. But if we will achieve that, I believe this will change everything. And um, then I think in the short term, we might even have a need of even more cars. And with, with electric vehicles, I think the main variables that count are energy efficiency and production costs. I think these are the only two variables that count. And Tesla has the best efficiency um, uh, by far and also the lowest production costs. So for example, if you compare the, the Model uh, 3 with the, with the uh, Volkswagen ID3, I think, or the Model Y, I think um, the production time is 10 hours for the Model Y, and for Volkswagen, it's 30 hours. So we are talking about a factor of 
three in terms of production time and potentially production uh, cost. So uh, I think these are really relevant numbers. And in the end, um, I think it's about massive scale of, of a production. So Tesla's goal is to achieve 20 million cars by uh, 2030. And uh, I believe they are on a good trajectory to, to get there. So I, I really believe they will become the, the biggest uh, car producer on the planet because they not only they innovate on all fronts, even on the, on the factory front with their mega castings. It's, it's amazing what they are um, able to achieve. And I believe this will unlock uh, a huge uh, potential once we potentially get to, uh, to autonomy. Then, because even if some other company today would achieve autonomy, uh, uh, they couldn't stamp out uh, 10 million cars per year just, just like that. It's, it's impossible, or even millions of cars. It's, it's, really, it's really hard to, to get to, to volume production, and especially profitable volume production. And I think all of the uh, new EV startups uh, from Rivian and, and others are really seeing that firsthand. And even Ford, um, now they are uh, declaring their, their, uh, or, or they are reporting on their EV side, and they're highly <laughs> in, in the red. So, so this is highly unprofitable for them. So it's really hard to get the volume production, profitable volume production. And I think Tesla figured out the magic sauce. So they are now, basically, they have all the components in place. It's just a matter of um, of uh, creating factories and, and building it out. And then they now even announced that their uh, third generation uh, platform, which will potentially be, be even more efficient to produce, uh, potentially 50% less cost. So I think um, these are all the variables people should think about. Um, and I believe that Tesla will be the first to achieve autonomy. I think autonomy will happen. Um, the only question is when. And I think when it happens, then Tesla will be ready to um, deploy many millions of, of cars and to really take advantage of that and shape our society in a, in a complete different way. Because if you, could, if you just imagine that you could, with your phone, always get from door to door without having to go to airports, without having to go to train stations, bus stations, tram stations, it creates so much efficiency. And it's so much easier. You could send your kids to the soccer um, fields and, and back with, with an autonomous car. Um, it's much safer. So, so this is the future I hope will, will happen. Of course, there are no guarantees. But when it happens, I think we will need, in the short term at least, we will need millions and millions of cars and we will be supply constrained for a long time to come, in my opinion. You mentioned the, the robots. Um, I'm curious. Um, don't know much about that. Can you give us like a little overview of uh, what what that is and and why you think it's so significant? Yeah. So the way I think about Tesla in general, Tesla basically is a ro robotics company um, and a manufacturing company, um, but basically a, a robotics and AI company. So the cars I see as robots on wheels and with autonomy. Um, you have, um, yeah, you have basically robot-like behavior on the road, and then the robot is just another form factor. So the idea is that for autonomy, for solving autonomy, you have to solve real-world AI, and Tesla is trying to achieve that with vision only, so without lidar, without uh, uh, radar, without um, any other sensors. So they want to do it vision only the same as humans do so basically humans if if you um use robot or computer terminology humans are basically um a stereo camera on a slow gimbal with a neural net inside so so and we can drive um quite well not perfectly we still have i think a million deaths uh, per year and, and 10 million accidents per year but we can we can do driving and with, uh, with, a, with a Tesla, you have eight cameras, you have 360 degree vision, you have much faster reaction times. And um, basically, the idea is to emulate um, what humans already do um, in, in, a, in, a, in a robot, in a, in a robot with, with wheels. So that's, that's, the, that's the idea. And for that, they need to solve this real world AI um, vision based problem. And once they solve that, um, they could apply it for many, many uh, more 
form factors. And one form factor that they are looking at are humanoid robots. And they looked at the, at the market and they tried to buy, um, for example, um, actuators and, and other components off the shelves. And they were surprised that, um, yeah, basically all of the, yeah, they are not, not really useful components that you could use uh, for producing potentially millions or, or billions of, of robots. So they then tried uh, or, or started to um, produce all of the components themselves. Um, with uh, first principle, uh, first principles thinking, and with the thinking in mind of potentially producing millions and, and billions of, of units, um, where they can do it for low cost and and hopefully uh, and profitably. Um, so once you solve this um, real world AI problem, then you can also apply it uh, for for the robots. And their idea is to iterate themselves to uh, to usefulness. So they don't want to um, create a finished robot that can do your laundry and cook for you, but they are just trying to um, take really, really simple tasks. For example, taking a box and bring it from A to B in, in, a, in a factory floor and um, then deploy those robots in their own factories and see whether they are useful. And um, I think, um, yeah, they are moving really, really fast. There are um, some really interesting videos that they publish um, every couple of months um, of, of their progress. Um, so I think they will start deploying that in their own factories, add capabilities, add tasks. And once they solve autonomy um, for cars, they have basically also solved it for, for the robots. And then they would be ready to deploy millions of robots as well to um, be useful. And then when you think about the business model, the potential business model, it's the same for the car. So I think the main business model for the car will be um, that the, the main profit driver will come from software. So uh, the FSD subscription right now costs uh, $200 per month, and it's basically 100% gross margin. Not, not exactly, of course, there are costs involved, but really, really high gross margin. And um, once they solve it, who wouldn't buy FSD for, for $200 uh, per month? So it basically becomes like an Apple-like business model where they have not only great hardware, but also software on top with really high margins. So I believe the, the economics will look really similar to, to Apple, but even better than Apple because Apple doesn't produce their products itself. Uh, they are outsourcing to, to third parties and Tesla is reinventing everything from, the, from their own um, operating internal operating system. So they wrote their own ERP system. They don't rely on SAP or any other vendors. So they are able to move really fast and be completely integrated. And that distinguishes them from, from all others. And I think once they um, achieve full self-driving, um, the robots will be successful as well. And then when you think about it, um, to, the, to the limit, then you can add capabilities to the robot. So you can then purchase your own um, a gardening upgrade, your cooking upgrade, your laundry upgrade, your, I don't know, um, going for errands upgrade, and it will be subscription-based. So you will just be able to purchase tasks from the robot in a subscription model. And this um, yeah, has a potential to, to be even bigger than the, than the car and, and robo-taxi business, in, in my opinion. Uh, because um, yeah, if you, if you think about it, how many robots could you usefully use um, on Earth? Would it be in, in, in terms of, of, of humans on Earth? Would it be one-to-one? -one? Would it be two-to-one? Even if it's one-to-one, -one, we're talking about 8 billion potential units and, and 8 billion uh, subscriptions. Um, and yeah, these robots will charge themselves and will just be really uh, productive. So um, that's one potential vision. Of course, we are super early. Um, uh, it's, it's not here yet, but uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking about when I think about 10, 15 years into the future. Okay, great. Um, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to touch on, Remo? I think what's really interesting for people that's, that haven't uh, seen it is their master plan part three. So Tesla has been always been really transparent about their strategy and what they are um, uh, yeah, uh, trying to achieve and their, and their plan to do so. So for example, in 2006, they published their whole master plan 
from the Roadster to up until the Model 3. They published it in, in great detail on, on their website uh, and they achieved everything from their first master plan. So then came the second master plan where they talked about uh, robotaxis and, and other uh, things. And now master plan part three is basically their plan to transition the world to a completely um, sustainable economy. And they calculated everything and they laid it all out and it's doable. It's, it's just a matter of scale um, of, of uh, yeah, uh, producing the, the batteries and, and heat pumps and, and whatnot. But um, now we have a blueprint and I believe that the same way as now most of the US-based car companies are adopting uh, Tesla's charging standards and will be able to use Tesla superchargers, uh, GM, Ford, many others. Um, I think that, I, and I hope that many governments and other companies will join this master plan and, and try to make it a reality. Of course, Tesla cannot do it alone. Um, it needs to be a team effort. It needs to be a global effort. But I think it's possible to make the world completely sustainable. And then if you think about it, I mean, we have the sun. The sun is our personal fusion reactor in the sky. It doesn't need any maintenance. It's completely free. It's available 24-7 um, on, on a global basis. Um, and we can be powered by the sun. We can be powered by, by uh, wind, by, by water, uh, by uh, geothermal uh, uh, yeah, heat. And I, I want that future to, to be true. And I hope that many others um, want this future to be true. And um, I'm also proud to, to live here in Basel. Basel has pledged to become um, carbon neutral, um, I think, until 2050 or so. I think until 2037, um, they will switch um, everything to, to electric. They will um, phase out gas um, and everything. So, so I love that cities and, and countries are, are taking this seriously. And I hope that, that many others will join and really um, make use of these resources that we have, of the sun, of, of the water. And then we will have abundant energy. We will have abundant workforce with potential robots. We will have um, abundant uh, transportation and logistics with, with autonomy. And yeah, I hope that's, that's, the, that's the future we will see. And uh, yeah, stop burning fossil fuels and stop um, polluting uh, the, uh, the air and, and, and things like that. This is not sustainable. And, um, I hope we will, we will do that. That's, that's my wish. Well, Remo, thank you so much for the terrific conversation. Uh, really appreciate your time and perspective. Mm -hmm.